Welcome back to another episode of the OK What's Next podcast with Jason Van Ruler. This week, I'm talking with Nikki Lang. And Nikki is a good friend. She's an entrepreneur, a mother, and an artist. And she's so talented. Something I love about this interview is that Nikki and I were actually able to go really into depth on some tough topics that we don't always get to, like losing loved ones, how we grieve well, and transitioning to the next thing. I think you're going to take so much away, and I know I did. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the OK What's Next podcast with Jason Van Ruler. Today, I'm talking with Nikki Lang, who is an artist, an entrepreneur, an all-around interesting person. Thank you for being on today, Nikki. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was super thrilled to have you on. I know we've known you for a while. My wife has known you for a long time and just thinks the world of you. And you've had such an interesting career. Can you tell us just a little bit about some of the stuff that you've done? Sure. That's funny because I feel like now that I'm in my 40s, I don't really look back on my life and think I've had a career. It just feels like this series of things that have sort of happened So career-wise, education-wise, I started off on a science track and I got a degree in biology. I thought certainly I wanted to be like a medical missionary. And then I had blood drawn and I passed out and was like, um, I don't think that the medical field is where I'm supposed to be. be But that kind of got me into ecology and I just kind of fell in love with the natural world. And so Biology led me on to a master's in forestry. And so I spent some time at the University of Washington doing research on fire and the effects of fire and ecology and things like that. And thought I was going to go on that track and go into research or teaching or something like that. And then at the end of that, my parents both passed away. And Mm. so that was kind of a big shift in thinking about life and what I wanted to do and something like that just kind of shakes up your whole world. Kind of leads to some of those existential questions a little earlier on in life because you you kind of, I suppose, realize the finality of some things and and the fact that life is fleeting and it goes by quickly. So that made you stop and think about what you were doing. Yeah, hundred percent. At that point, I was also meeting my husband and getting married. So there was sort of this confluence of all this emotional stuff happening. So actually at that point, when my parents passed away, I was teaching. I'd say that's probably my first real job. I was teaching middle school and high school at a small Christian school in Mount Vernon, Washington. And that was great. And I really loved teaching. And I feel like had things been different, I might've stuck with teaching a little bit longer. But my husband, Kevin, was training to be a school counselor. And so he got a job in Portland, Oregon. And so we picked up from Mount Vernon and moved out to Portland. I think when people you love are lost, you feel like you have to do something about it, or at least for me, I don't know if this is a Christian mentality. I think it is. I think it's a big part of the Christian idea that you have to make something good out of everything bad that happens. And so I felt this intense need to do something, you know, to make good, to make everything work out for the good. Which is actually well, great. Stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For that. That's uh it's a great Midwestern sentiment. I love it. Just great. something bad happened. All you gotta do now is just fix it yeah. and do something good with it. Right. So I was gonna start a nonprofit that helped caregivers. The backstory of my parents' deaths is that my mom had MS for her whole life and my dad was her caregiver. And so my dad was a pastor, my dad was 
beloved by everybody, including me. He was just kind of like my rock and my person. And so when I lost him, I just kind of lost my bearings and I just felt like I wanted to do something. You know, I wanted other people to not have to experience what I experienced. And I felt like a big part of his death, he died of cancer, but I feel like the cancer happened because of the stress that he was under. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to start this retreat center that took care of families in crisis like that. And it was 2008 at the time. If you remember, that was a terrible year to be asking people for money to start something. Not the best year. Not the best year. So I put together a board and did all the research and started looking at properties. My family loved the Oregon coast. So we were going to start it out there. And then it just was obvious that it wasn't the right timing. And then I got pregnant. And so I started making things. I think in my grief and in my wanting to do something, my inclination was to start creating. First, I started making leather goods out of old leather coats and scraps. And I would go to thrift stores and leather shops that had scrap bins and things like that. And how did you come up with that idea? I mean, was that something you had done before or where did that come from? Great story. This came from my dad. So back in high school, I had gone on a short-term missions trip, as many people do when they're in high school and Christians. And I went to Guatemala and I picked up this great leather bag at a street market. And I love this bag. And I carried this bag from the moment I bought it in high school until my dad forbade me to carry it anymore because it was so (laughs) broken down and terrible. And his solution to that was recreating this bag for me out of a leather coat that he found. And my dad wasn't a, seems he was a pastor. He wasn't into sewing or anything. This was not his skill set. No. So he recruited someone who had an industrial machine And made me this bag, which looked nothing like the bag. In fact, I opened it and I just cringe at what my reaction must have been because he had spent this time. It was not a great reaction, I bet. So awful, but I was like, you know, my (laughs) terrible 20-year-old self. But that sparked the idea of taking old leather coats and making new things out of them. And so I started this business called Found. My goal in the beginning was to use all repurposed leather and materials and even thread and zippers and everything I was repurposing. And so I did that for about 10 years, like through the course of having two kids. And we moved to Bellingham, Washington, where I am now. I just kept making things. And I feel like there was something in the making that was really speaking to my grief and just what I needed. I think there's, when you've lost a lot, I had also, I lost a sister years previous. And so I was pretty alone in the world. And I think there's something about feeling alone that creating helps soothe. I don't know. It speaks to that. And and creating something out of nothing is just a, a really rewarding experience. Did it feel in a way like that was still a connection to them that even though they were gone, that this was a way to maybe continue to kind of honor them or honor that relationship at least? Yeah, I think so. I think especially because that idea, I love telling that story of my dad making that bag. Without that, I don't think I would have had the idea to do that business. So I think you're right. I never thought of that, but I think that it was a way of honoring that. Yeah. Great story. I'm sure your dad's reaction, being a father myself, you you think of these times where it's such a loaded, wow, they're going to be over the moon. And then, you know, we can't help it because we're kids. And you just, you're like, oh, this is, what is this? This is like a mangled leather thing. I could go back to that moment, man. (laughs) But what, what a sweet story and what authenticity to that. And so you found a way to basically 
take that experience and the love for your father and turn that into something and make something with it. Yeah. So did you feel when you were doing that, I mean, was that pretty rewarding for you then to create this business and see that grow as a result of this? Yeah, it was. And let's be clear, I had zero business experience. I started out on Etsy. A lot of people probably know Etsy. And at first I wasn't even intending to sell things. You know, I just made things for people I cared about. And then, you know, inevitably somebody said you should start a business, which always sounds great, you know, and it's always much more work than you think it's going to be. But it's the kind of thing you can learn as you go, you know, from the making to like doing taxes and things like that. It's not rocket science. You just have to work at it. Yeah. So all of a sudden now you start making things, which is part of your own journey of kind of healing and keeping these relationships open and, and lasting. And now you're in business and this is also a business. And so what next? What did you do after that? Or, or how did that come to pass? I might say. Yeah. So eventually I shifted from repurposing everything because that became a job in itself. You know, just finding materials was a lot of work and you can't make reproductions of things. So you're photographing every single thing. And so I did eventually start buying whole hides of leather and making repeats of things. And at that point, I took on a partner for a short time, which was really great. It's always fun to work with someone and to bounce ideas off of each other and kind of share the workload. And then eventually I had up to three employees that were working for me. So it turned into a a full-scale operation. And then at that point, I realized that I wasn't a maker anymore. I was a manager. And thinking about ecology back to that, like what I really loved about ecology was the field work, you know, but the further you get in anything, the more you end up kind of being a manager. So when it reached that point, I just kind of took a step back and said, you know, I'm really not a business person. I'm a maker at heart. I just want to get back to the making. And so after about 10 years of doing that business, I decided to quit. Was that realization something that kind of came on in a moment or was that something that slowly built up until you just couldn't ignore it anymore? Or how did that work? It definitely built up over time. I'm the kind of person where like when I was younger, I would have trouble breaking up with people because it was really hard for me to make that final decision. And so with found, I played with it. You know, I, I put myself in that role of, well, who would I be if I didn't have this business? And so I think at that point, because, you know, I was around people that had careers and, had sort of gone that more traditional track of getting an education and becoming equipped for the job they're doing through that education, I had this kind of identity crisis of what am I going to say when people ask, what do you do? You know, I'll say, I don't know. I used to do these things. I'm not sure anymore. Forestry, you know, like I, I could hold on to the fact that, you know, I at one point was educated for something, but it was scary. It felt like, I had to practice. I saw a coach to help me make the decision, which was super helpful. A coach opposed to a counselor is just really looking at the big picture and kind of just seeking what your heart is, you know, and who you are and what you want. So I would practice being at a cocktail party and someone saying, so what do you do? And I would say, well, I'm an artist. I, you know, I, I'm an artist. <laughs> which I, so, I love that. I mean, that that's yeah. of all the things to say, that's not a bad thing to say, but it's just, right. it's different than you've known. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of societal pressures that are weighing on me feeling like I have to be someone. And the truth of it is that I just have to be who I am. I think that that's the bigger lesson that I learned, which sounds so simple, but it's really the truth that I just feel like I'm getting back to finding myself. I found it too, as I get older, like most of life is painfully simple. 
You know, I think I, I love to overcomplicate it, but it, it just, it really is pretty simple. If you do it, it's the doing is the hard part. It's true. Yeah, that's very true. So you're kind of getting this itch and this awareness of, you know, who I really am is I'm an artist and I'm an artist that happens to own a business, but really it's more about the art than the business. And so what did you do next? Then did you step away from the business? What happened? So I shut it down. I sold the machines. I sold all my leftover leather. I gave away a ton of stuff. It felt very freeing. People were like, really? Are you sure? You just, are you sure? And I would get requests. I think I sold the machines so that people could not come and say, can you just make me one more bag? (laughs) I would just say, no, I cannot make you one more bag. I'm done with it. And working with leather is also very hard on the body. And so I just felt like, okay, I just need a break from just working so physically with my body because it was really starting to wear on me. And so I knew that I wanted to keep making. And I had a good friend, Cooper, who is a brilliant artist. And I started taking some painting lessons from her. And it was with brushes and I was not very good. She was very encouraging and she's very good at giving, she was giving instructions that were very basic, like look for the shapes, try and turn off your thinking brain and just turn on your seeing brain. And she was just really good with getting me started on a good track. And then I picked up palette knives, which look like little shovels that you can paint with. And I just, I loved it. Something clicked and it was like, oh, this is great. It was almost for me, like discovering leather over sewing fabric, you know, sewing fabric, Mm -hmm. you have to worry about the fraying edge. Whereas when you're sewing leather, you just cut it and sew it and it's fine. But with brushes, brushes can get very muddy, whereas palette knives, you can make nice crisp edges and you can scrape it off and start over, which was great for me. So I've been palette knife painting and it's been great. Yeah, the work you've done is brilliant. I mean, I I actually have some of it right up in front of me and some of it graces the walls of my house. So I love it. It's totally kismet because this morning, I actually got a text from my brother of a painting that I did when I was a kid with palette knives. Now I oh, could no not way. have arranged that <laughs> if I tried, but I literally got it. Don't worry. I'm not competing with you. You are the master at that. But it was just, it was Whoa, fascinating not- of all the things to get today to get that. So yeah. what do you think happened to me? Were you just, you were just open to something new and this was just the thing or how did that work? You know, I don't know. It's funny how those things work it's funny to look back on your journey and to see where you would be if certain things hadn't happened. And growing up, I always was a maker. I wanted to go to art school. My parents were like, art is not a career. (laughs) You'll never make money as an artist. And it's funny to think that if they were still here, I might not be an artist, you know? And I think that that was my true life calling in my work. And another piece is that I think because of this feeling like I have to have a career or do a thing. I started grad school last year to become a therapist because, you know, I feel like with all this experience with grief, surely that's something I can use to help people. And it was a good experience. But what I realized in my very last weeks of school, I read an article by Mikado Fujimura, who's an artist Mm -hmm. and a theologian. And he talked about the importance of art in healing and not even for people to learn how to create art, but just the act of observing art and seeing art. And I think, like you said, that somehow sewing kept me connected to my family. 
I think even painting connects me in a way that nothing else does. Cause I just get in that very Zen state of just creating and I'm not thinking about anything else except what I'm putting on the canvas. And it's just a meditative act that doesn't happen anywhere else in my life. Wow. I love that state. That's the flow state. Uh, there's yeah, actually yeah. a wonderful okay. book. Can never pronounce the person's name that wrote that, but it's a wonderful <laughs> book. I'll try to link it, but that's what it yep. makes me think of is when you're in that moment and I don't want to probably get too philosophical here, but at the same time, I think we are all connected in those moments because in those moments we're present and aware. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I see in your work. I mean, you do landscapes that I think communicate not only the beauty of the landscape, but also the feeling that you're feeling when you're viewing it. Yeah. And in some ways, these look like lovely pictures that you would show to your family, if you could, of the things you see. Yeah, that's very true. And my favorite thing to paint is the beach. And that's the place that we loved together. You know, it's the last place I remember us being happy together. Wow. So as you go on, and you start to paint. Now I see this is taking off too. You have this problem. Every time you start something, this it takes off. You know, it just is going to be what it's going to be. I think painting is the kind of thing that you can't do any faster than you can do. So I like I'll that. ride it where it goes. And I've decided to not continue with grad school. I'm doing a little bit of writing too. So I feel like writing is something that is a way I can communicate with people. I think I want my art and my writing to be therapeutic mm-hmm. in a different way than being a therapist would be. Okay. So I think the idea of being a therapist, well, you know, it's hard work. You yeah. take on other people's stuff. I mean, you try not to take it on. I suppose they teach you how not to take it on. I don't know. It's a different sort of connection. I think you get when you're a writer or a painter. Well, the people and, that receive your. Yeah. And I think it's accessible. You know, I think the difficulty sometimes with therapy or counseling is um, that it takes some work to get there. But looking at your work or your paintings or, or writing, there's a connection that can be made there pretty easily and it's accessible for people. And so sometimes I think as therapists, you know, I, I think what we do is wonderful and important, but sometimes artists and, and people who are sharing and communicating with the world are really the healers, you know, because mm-hmm. more people are viewing or seeing those things. And so I think in a unique way, you've just learned a different way to communicate with an audience and to help them, even if that's not being a therapist. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I'm just going to kind of explore that, see what happens and and go from there. Wow. Well, I will link your work because I really do want people to see it. It's fantastic. I, I, I love it. So I will link your work. The other thing that I would just tell you before we close is what strikes me and I really appreciate about you is just you dealt with struggles, you dealt with adversity and loss. But even through today talking, I keep hearing this thread of, but I want to use it to help other people. And I just think, (laughs) man, not everybody does that, right? They might say, well, I want to use it to just like screw my life up, or I just, I want to use it to not help anyone. But to me, it's just so touching that you've kind of said, okay, this thing happened. Now, how do I make something of it? And boy, you have. Yeah, I think what I'm coming to realize is just how much community is required for healing. You know, I tried to do it on my own for a long time and it's very lonely. It's one thing to be sad, but it's another thing to be sad and to be alone in it. So I think my punchline, if I can have one, is that community is required for healing. And if I can somehow facilitate the coming together for healing, then that's what I want to do. 
Wow. Well, that is a great place to end. I so appreciate your time today and you being on the podcast and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Jason. Hey everyone, Jason Van Ruler here again. Wanted to check in and just say, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. At the end of every interview, I sit down for a couple of minutes with my journal and my pen and I write down what I took away from that. And I have to tell you, I mean, this season I have taken away so much. It's just like I'm learning. This is like a huge education for me. And so I hope it is for you too and that you're enjoying the show so far. If you are, now might be a good time for me to tell you a little bit about my goal for 2021, which is to help a thousand people realize their what's next. And so if you're like me and you want to help other people do that, I'd ask, could you leave a positive review if you're liking the show or subscribe or even maybe share that? I think the more that we share this information and get it out, the more people see that they can do it too. Lastly, thanks for listening. This show has been such a blessing in my life. I could not have imagined how this would have gone in this journey. And so I just thank you for being part of it. Thank you.